NBA trade deadline recap and Super Bowl breakdown. We have Chris Mannix on all the latest news, Damian Woody on Super Bowl stories and his pick, and I run through what feels like the final chapter of this Simmons Harden saga and life advice. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. The headliner, the one we've all been waiting for now for, I don't know, it's all ramped up here quite a bit the last week. Ben Simmons goes to the Nets. Philly sends him out with Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a 22nd first that also can be deferred to 23, and then a 27 first is top eight protected. The 76ers finally get their man in James Harden a year plus after they thought they were getting him from Houston, and they get Paul Millsap. So, on the surface, you go, hey, the Nets won the trade, all right? They get the picks. They get Curry. Sure, they needed size. I know Drummond gets a ton of rebounds, man, but I've just watched it enough to go. He's almost like that scorer on a bad team that gets 20-something. You're like, hey, is he good? And you're like, ah. I know. Look, rebounds are harder than scoring, and he's massive, but I was watching him really closely the last couple weeks, and I just, whatever. So, then now they have him, right? But now they've both been able to kind of reset what has been a problematic situation for both. We're going to get to all that stuff. Now, if you look at KD, Kyrie, and Harden, this grand experiment, you got 16 games total. 16 games total. I saw that number, and I knew it was eight last year, and I go, yeah, that's right. Checks out. But it seems ridiculous to think you only got 16 games with these three guys together. Now, plugging Simmons into that from a basketball standpoint, like this should be good for him. There isn't going to be any pressure to break people down and being a scoring option. You get to set screens and roll. Think of the way Bruce Brown thrived as like this 6'5 inverted center on all these cuts because there was all this shooting around. And granted, the Joe Harris thing is this huge problem. It looks like he may have to have the second surgery and we're not sure what's going to happen. But now Curry is in the mix. You got Patty Mills. So depending on what you do with Simmons defensively, there's a lot of different options here. But Simmons' life is going to be just a lot easier, less pressure. And let's face it, Brooklyn actually, from an NBA fan base standpoint, is just an easier place to deal with that stuff than in Philadelphia. So from a basketball standpoint and the assets, 
it does make a lot of sense for Simmons. But this doesn't mean that it's just some, okay, everything's good. Durant gets hurt all the time. I love the guy. I fucking love him. He gets hurt a lot. Kyrie, he has missed 22 of the last 40 playoff games that his team is involved in. Now, you could chunk out the Boston stuff and then start the clock again, but then you start getting into regular season games to just pencil in Kyrie's availability beyond what the mandates will be because it feels like this stuff's all going to start loosening up here pretty quickly because that's kind of how we are. Like one state does this, next state does that, and I'll start, I mean, other than Florida being its own program. Uh, not trying to make this political, but you understand the point. Like we saw it with the leagues already. Remember how everybody was testing positive? for Omicron. And then all of a sudden, like nobody was testing positive because they're just like, we're over this. We're not going to announce what we're doing because then the optics of it are bad, but this is what we're going to do. And that's why all of a sudden all the NFL playoff games were fine. That's why the bowl games, all of a sudden the playoff games, in the college system, you're like, okay, this is good. You notice we're not getting COVID updates all the time. No, because this is what it is. So I could imagine that by the time the playoffs roll around, maybe the Kyrie situation is entirely different, but that is different than him being available with his injury history. So it's not some certainty, even though on paper and what Vegas has done for the Nets and their title odds. On the 76er side of this, having Harden instead of nothing, and again, Curry is part of this, the calculation, but let's just put it this way. Waiting on Simmons, having it weigh on the franchise, the day-to-day, the questions, and the players have done a fantastic job with this. MB may win an MVP fighting through what's just a nonsensical situation with the guy being out the whole time because his feelings were hurt. So from that standpoint alone, that is a win for Daryl Morey and the Sixers. And this is where I think Daryl deserves a lot of credit. You know, he traded Ben Simmons for James Harden. Again, I'm not the biggest Harden fan ever. I'll get to that. But that's so much better than, okay, C.J. McCollum or De'Aaron Fox or Domus Sabonis, you know? Like, that's that's Daryl sticking to his guns, being patient and deciding, I don't care what everybody's saying. I don't care how impatient everyone is. As long as ownership, front office staff, as long as we're all aligned, I think we can wait this out. But then this is where the pricing kind of kicks in, right? Because I said at the beginning of the week, I go, if you're Sean Marks and you're Daryl Morey and you're going back and forth, and I'm sure that whatever the start point of this discussion was, is Daryl's thinking that he needs the sweetener because he's arguing, well, look, your guy Harden can opt out and then maybe I can move some pieces around and I get him for nothing and I'd trade Simmons somewhere else. So, you know, and Marks goes, okay, cool. Your guy doesn't play. Your guy doesn't play. He abandoned the entire deal. You need to add the sweetener to me. And that's exactly what happened. So even though I like Maury's patience and that he finally got his way and that he ended up getting a much better player than people thought they were going to get, as everybody was saying, oh, his values destroyed. That wasn't the case because things change. There are constantly things happening in this league. Leadership, front offices, the next player that's mad that we now have to update that list. Things happen very quickly, even when it can feel like it's taking forever. So Maury deserves credit for getting his guy. And the thing that led to this is a real difficult proposition that all of us will deal with at some point, right? Is Daryl, okay, you play tough guy. You can talk about opting out. You can talk sign a trade. You can do all those things. But really, I'm offering what you want right now. You can have it right now. Do you know how hard it is to say no to that? God, I don't really like the price. All right, but you know, maybe I could wait. Yeah, but this is what you want, and I'm giving it to you right now. You can say yes, and it's yours. And Daryl said yes. So really, I don't think it's a trade necessarily like, yeah, the Nets, if you were going to grade this, you give the higher grade to the Nets. Simmons is under contract. He's younger. 
He's not as good as Harden. The Harden contract is horrifying when you look at what the opt-in will be, saying he's going to opt-in, by the way, and the four-year extension that starts tagging him at like 60-plus million at 37 years old. Oh, and by the way, the cap's going to go up. But I look at this trade very simply. I go, it's not what you got to get better. It's what you got rid of to get better. Because both teams got better getting rid of things more so than what they brought back. And this is the part, if you'd allow me to just go through this exercise, where I think it's fair to say I like the NBA. Spend a lot of time on it. But as I pointed out with a lot of things, I can understand the other side of the argument. Because if I hated the NBA, I'd go, you know, big hockey guy. And I'd look at what happened this week with this trade. And I'd go, wait, let me let me get this. This is probably what I would say. I'd go, okay, so let me get this straight. Um, that guy from Houston, he's the guy that was out of shape all the time. And then he was out of shape the next year. That guy, the, that's Harden, right? Yeah, so he, he quit on his team in Houston because Chris Paul couldn't play with him. Westbrook couldn't play with him. Wall couldn't play with him. And then he just started like chucking the ball out of bounds towards the end of that Houston run, showed it completely out of shape, broke all the protocols. And then he actually got his way and got to go to Brooklyn instead of Philadelphia. And then he comes in out of shape this year with what will challenge modern science with the lack of recovery rate for his hamstring. Career worst shooter. And then he decides he doesn't love it. Which I think, to be fair to Harden, could be slightly attributed to Kyrie's presence. And then Harden's like, you know what? I'm going to start playing bad here on purpose, too. I would submit the Sacramento game if you feel like throwing up in your lap while you watch basketball. And so a year later, Harden does it again. Then he gets a contract extension. Okay, that's how that league works. What about the other guy? What was his deal? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, um, He's never learned to shoot because he doesn't really put in the work, but he'll post some Instagram videos. Um, he was terrible in the playoffs, like physically just looks scared to death to be out there, which is kind of what the money's for. It's to get buckets, maybe stop people from getting buckets, and then also to not look horrified in the second round of the playoffs. And then he got super mad when guys weren't over-the-top supportive of him because he played bad. And so then he said he wanted to be traded, and then the team came out to try to talk him out of it, you know, everybody settled down and then he didn't meet with anybody and ignored everybody. But then later said that he wished they had done a better job trying to track him down in a story I read this week. (laughs) He's like, yeah, you know, I kind of ignored him, but they could have done a better job coordinating time. And so then when he didn't get traded in the summer, he showed up to practice and was petulant and threw a ball and stormed out because he wouldn't get into a drill. And then only then did he, bring up that he was struggling with his mental health, which I, as I've said numerous times, my sympathy towards people that struggle with mental health challenges, I felt the timing to be convenient if I'm going to be nice about it. So yeah, he just stopped. He just didn't want to play. He wasn't going to play for him ever again, even though he had a four-year extension, four-year max extension too that just kicked in. And so then what happened? Oh, no, he got got his way too. And then I actually saw somebody talking about And let's not lose sight of the mental health aspect of this because he will continue working with his therapist. I'm predicting a healthy turnaround. 
if I didn't like the league, I'd go, that's what happens. <laughs> but I love the league. And they've got me. They know they've got me. But I can understand somebody going, that's how that league works. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options, protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. The trade deadline is behind us now, and it was a nice nice run of action there. Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated, covers the NBA, does a great job, joins us now. All right, bunch I want to get to. Let's start at least with the headline part of this. Um, there were rumors kind of going in all different directions. It felt like the league, the momentum was going towards it. And Woj had the piece where it was like, hold off, and then it kind of picked back up. So, I don't know. Your take on the fit, stuff you had heard, this thing finally happening. Yeah, it, it you know, the, the Harden camp started to kind of soft. I think the Harden camp realized in the last 48 hours that there's a chance a deal might not happen. And that's why in the last 36, you started to hear kind of more stuff about Harden wanting out. Before then, it was Steve Nash saying James Harden's not going to be traded. Harden not saying anything at all. But in the last day or so, it started to pick up some momentum on Harden kind of making it clear that he wanted Philadelphia to happen, which I think put a lot of pressure and did put a lot of pressure on Brooklyn to find a deal that worked otherwise risk sabotaging the rest of this season and in all likelihood losing him at the end of the year uh, for nothing. So that's kind of what I heard in the last 24 hours about how this, this sort of came together. I am endlessly fascinated by Philadelphia's obsession with James Harden. I mean, like Daryl Morey got his man, right? This is who Daryl targeted all along. He's been wanting a reunion with James Harden since he took that job in Philadelphia. But there's a pretty reasonable argument that it's not the right deal to make. Um, you know, Harden's 32. They'll be 33 next year. Um, they're likely going to lavish a contract that's going to be for the next five years that's going to be the neighbor of $270 million on him in the offseason. And we're talking about a guy that in his last two stops has thrown fits to get out of these situations and whose numbers this year have regressed from previous years. So I, I would argue, Ryan, that, you know, you, you could pretty make a pretty strong case that maybe turning to Atlanta and saying, all right, give me John Collins, Bogdan Bogdanovich, a couple of draft picks. That would have been better for Philadelphia short and long-term than the trade we saw culminated today. 
No, it's a really good point because in the open, I'm like, both teams kind of won because of who they got rid of, not so much what came back. Um, even though I think we all kind of feel like asset wise, Brooklyn did a better job. And, you know, who knows? The blessing in disguise here, maybe that they never have to make the hardened contract decision now, which is pretty horrifying, pretty scary, especially mm-hmm. with the 32 year old version that we've seen from Harden. But I also wonder like, Harden's better than what you've had when that guy doesn't want to play for you. But from a basketball standpoint, like it's not like they're going to run post and then Harden's just going to try to feed him. Although Harden's probably going to be the best passer that I would say entry pass wise, because Simmons was kind of all over the place, even though he'd made great passing plays. I'm not sure. I think it changes who they are defensively a little bit because now you're you're making up for him. Maybe this being Dybul plays more because you feel better that you can keep a bigger guard out. I, you know, I'm not. I like it. I like that both teams are able to move on. I don't like how we got here. I think that's another thing that's alarming. But there's so much uncertainty about how it all fits in. Probably more challenging for Philly than Simmons, who comes in with way less pressure on him. I think a lot more challenging for Philly. I mean, you mentioned the fit with Embiid. I mean, they'll be really good in pick and roll. Like that's that's as good a combination I think you have in the league right now because you can't really you can't switch it. You got to go under it. I mean, there's a lot of things, a lot of challenges that's going to present for defenses if they get rolling in that set. But I look at a guy like Tyrese Maxey and like what kind of impact does this have? Big question. I mean, Tyrese, he's had the ball yeah. in his hand a lot in uh, his time uh, this season. And he's become like this beloved figure in Philly because of it. Like he's the guy that wanted to be there. He's the guy that slid into Ben Simmons' spot and has thrived um, in that place in the rotation. Like, like hypothetically, if Harden comes in and there's a little bit of some, some bumps along the way and Maxi's play tails off because of it, like <laughs> the honeymoon for Harden gets pretty quick out there. Uh, in that city, uh, if it doesn't, if they don't get off to uh, some kind of fast start. So look, maybe like Daryl's forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know. So he gets the benefit of the doubt. But um, this is not like some kind of home run fit. Like there, there are several other trades that were out there and certainly doable on Philadelphia's uh, from Philadelphia's perspective that might have made them a, a more complete team than what James Harden does. Yeah, there's just so many different ways to talk about this trade. Because if everybody is happy, then it probably doesn't even happen. Um, <laughs> how about this, though? How about, like, is there not, like, I don't know how petty Kyrie Irving is, but would it not be, like, some just big fuck you to James Harden for him to get vaccinated tomorrow and just start, like, we know the Nets are, are you know, so the, the, the draft where nobody, pick, you know, Kevin Durant picks Rudy Gobert over uh, James Harden in the All-Star draft. And, like, you know, Kyrie, you know, James Harden has been kind of like, he hasn't been talking to Kyrie through the media, but he kind of has when he suggested, like, we need this lineup together all the time. Like, I just, I'm not sure if Kyrie's a petty guy or if this will push him over the edge, but like, if Kyrie just got vaccinated tomorrow. Wouldn't that be like just a tremendous story? Like, Kyrie gets vaccinated, can play in all these games. Simmons comes back and you get to the playoffs. Kyrie and Kevin Durant offensively, Simmons chasing Harden around potentially defensively. I mean, it's a pretty fun story. The petty part of it would fit in perfectly with the, this yeah. league thought, but I just feel like him being a voice for the voiceless is still really yeah. important. So, you know, I'm fucking with you right now. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just kidding. Really, <laughs> voice for the voices, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you think then, by the way, do you think the Nets, if they had it their way, would have rather not done this deal? Just have Harden engaged, want to play, give it a shot with these three guys that barely played together. That feels like that's what their preference was, right? Yeah, I mean... That to me felt like their preference as recently as as Tuesday night. I mean, I, I wrote something for SI.com on Wednesday, kind of as a lead in to the deadline. Everything I was hearing privately 
echoed what people like Steve Nash were saying publicly, that we're not trading James Harden because we believe that a return of Kevin Durant solves a lot of the problems you're seeing out there right now. Um, we'll figure out the Kyrie stuff. You never know what can happen with New York City and how they handle this vaccine mandate. You never know with Kyrie Irving, how he's going to handle this vaccine mandate. And we believe going into the playoffs, we're pretty tough when it's Harden, Durant, and Irving. And we've got some evidence from last season to kind of back that up. So they were, you know, on, on, I feel like they, that front office went to bed on Tuesday night thinking that this was the path they were going to go. But as I said, like, you know, things started to change, like publicly, like it started to get out, like Harden, you know, doesn't want to, you know, alienate the fan base, but he does want to get to Philadelphia. Philadelphia uh, believes he can get James Harden. Like it, things started to change publicly on Wednesday morning and into Thursday. And I think that is what shifted the thinking significantly inside that Nets front office from believing we can fix this, just get past the deadline, all will be well to where they are right now with a new player on their team. What did the Lakers try to do? <laughs> I mean, for the better part of the last month, they've been trying to get someone interested in this, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn poo-poo platter that they were sort of handing, offering around to the league. I mean, they tried, uh, they made a run at uh, Jeremy Grant. That didn't work out. They made, they called, they basically called across the league trying to find something real that they could get back because as much as anything, they know in LA that what they needed was some kind of influx of new blood, like something to shake up the status quo. It didn't have to be necessarily a game changer, but it had to be something different, a rotation player that would shake up this mix. They just couldn't find anything. Like there was nothing out there for them. There obviously was nothing out there for Russell Westbrook. Even if they're willing to attach that first round draft pick in 2027, there really wasn't much of a market for Russell Westbrook. I suppose Houston would have done it um, to get that first round draft pick, but that never really reached any kind of, of serious talk. And and again, like there there just wasn't any real interest in Horton Tucker Nunn package, especially since Nunn hasn't played this season and may not play this season. So we have no idea what he's going to be capable of. And Horton Tucker has dipped this year after looking really good uh, last season. So you know they made a lot of they made a lot of phone calls and put a lot of effort in, but there just ultimately wasn't anything that could you know significantly change the team, which is why I, mean, I don't know what they're going to do. Honestly, it, it, you know, watching them lose to Portland was was tough. Like that was that wasn't the Blazers. That was like Anthony Simons and you know a bunch of guys from the Y. Like it didn't. It just wasn't a. It was just as bad a loss you're going to get. Now they're going to try to regroup with the same group after the deadline. This is it's going to be tough. That's for sure. This is a big Anthony Simons podcast, but uh, I'll agree with you on the rest of the stuff. Uh, <laughs> I love Simons. No, him and like the cast of grownups out there like playing. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's... Yeah, Nurkic looked like... Uh, Nurkic went on Anthony Davis like he insulted his family at some point. I mean, that, I mean, was, that was unbelievable how hard he was going to AD. Uh, you know, I don't know, like the wall thing. You know, I'm sure Houston would ask for sweetener because by moving Westbrook out and bringing in Wall, who can play, they just don't want him to play at this yeah, point. Yeah, but like, I don't know. Like to me, and I think the Lakers had this perspective on Wall. Like, it, he does, you know, first of all, you don't know what you're going to get from this season. Like, he's been working out, but not working, working out. Like, he's in good shape, but not basketball shape left. With two months left in the year, like, what are you reasonably going to expect 
from John Wall. And going into next season, like he's not Westbrook, but he's kind of Westbrook light in a way that he's not a great perimeter shooter. He's a guy that needs the ball in his hands to be successful. Uh, th- there really wasn't a huge appetite in LA to, to, to make that swap, uh, thinking that they would get better because of it. Yeah, no, I understand, but I, I think Westbrook's at a point where him being around and playing is worse than not playing at this point. And I, I can't imagine his negatives being, well, I would put it this way, Wall's negative attributes, they're not as damaging, I would say, at this point of what we've still seen from Westbrook trying to figure this out. Okay, Dallas and the Wizards pull off a deal. Dinwiddie, who nobody likes playing with, um, <laughs> if you watch him play... You know, he's a talented guy. He can score. I mean, this is somebody who a couple of years ago, he had 21 a game, uh, 19 and 20 in 64 games. I was looking it up. He still didn't shoot it all that great. He had a 30% usage rate. Once you start going north of 30, that's like really, that's exactly how he plays, which on top of that, he's owed, what do I got? 18 million, 18.9. And then there's only 10 million guaranteed on the fourth year of an extension that he just did. And then Bertans, who's been atrocious this season, and then he had an $80 million deal. His money left. There's a partial guarantee in the last part of it. I'm just kind of sharing this. It's $38 million with the guarantee if you were to waive the third year or the final of the, of the extension, which is three years from now. So they're taking on a lot of money because it's also Przingis who's owed a ton of money. I think we can go ahead and suggest he'll pick up his player option in two years for $36 million. It was moving a bunch of money around for players that I know Luca wasn't cool with Przingis. I can't imagine he's going to be cool with Dinwiddie. Maybe they think they can reclamate Bertans at this point, which I don't think is a completely lost cause as bad as he's been this year. But I, as I tweeted out, I cannot wait to see Dinwiddie wave Luca off and tell and say, <laughs> I got this. Because <laughs> it's going to happen. I, get, I agree. Uh, I guess in a way, Dinwiddie is maybe Jalen Brunson protection for next year. Like, if you lose him as a free agent, like, I, I guess that's... That's one way to to look at Dinwiddie there. And maybe you can revive him into the player the Wizards thought they were getting when they signed into that contract in the offseason. I mean, the Wizards had to move that move him if they could. I mean, his numbers alongside Bradley Beal are horrible. Like they're it, it's he's such a net negative alongside Beal. And presumably the Wizards are going to be offering Beal that big contract in the offseason. I agree with you on Berton's like maybe a change of scenery does him good. Maybe you can get back to the player you saw the last year in San Antonio, the first year in Washington. Uh, Maybe you can revive him. And having a floor spacer like him at the power forward alongside Luka would be incredibly valuable uh, to that group. I just, you know, they they clearly believe that Porzingis and Luka don't work. They don't, like you said, like each other. Um, So this was the best they could possibly get for him. And now it's Washington's problem to try to revive or be the latest team to try to revive the talent that's in uh, Porzingis. So I, it's it's just a lot of question marks in that deal from both sides. What was your take on the Celtics who looked like they were dancing here to get under the tax? They got under it. They bring in Derek White. I mean, my feeling on this is that it's a manageable number. He can do a lot of different things. He can defend. He can initiate your offense. He hasn't shot it great this year. I think he's like 31% this season. Mm. Um, but last year, I done seven attempts a game. Last year, he was at 35%. So maybe that's kind of where they feel. Like, I guess their argument would be, all right, I guess we're going to go back into the tax once they have to fill out the rest of the roster. So correct me on that, because I think right now I've seen people write, oh, they got below the tax. I'm like, yeah, but I think roster-wise they have to fill it out, which may push them back over, which could cost them $10 million in the luxury tax sharing with, I think, like 20 teams. Um, but I, I, the way I think it, it didn't explain to me was 
okay, sure, they threw out a top four protected pick, but they're making the playoffs, so does the protection really mean anything? And Derek White is the kind of guy that like, we're not going to have cap space for, and it allows the outlet that they desperately needed when Tatum and Brown are blitzed, somebody else you can create, we can trust to shoot, even though it's been down this year. Like I like Derek White. He's a nice player. It's not going to be a headline for anybody in Boston, but I think people, once they see him, they'll be like, this is, this is a nice basketball player, and I think it was done with limited options to change who the roster was. Yeah, I, I like the deal. Too. I mean, you lose a mid first round draft pick. Okay. Well, the Celtics' most recent first round draft picks have been stapled to the bench over the last few weeks in Langford, who went out, uh, Neesmith, who's been bad, Pritchard, who maybe gets a bigger role with Dennis Schroeder gone, maybe not. I don't know. But they, uh, they're not, they're not too concerned about losing that draft pick because Derek White, I think, is what, 27 years old, under a decent contract for the next few years. Uh, and he does bring something you mentioned, playmaking. That's been a big problem for this team all season long. Like Marcus Smart, for all that he does well, playmaking's not one of them. Like he's just not a natural playmaker. Now, Derek White isn't Chris Paul, but adding another playmaker to that backcourt is only going to make the lives of Tatum and Brown uh, that much easier. On top of that, Richardson was such a big part of what they did defensively. They don't really lose a lot bringing White in because White's a very good defender uh, as well. So they're able to keep their identity while adding something that they've been sorely lacking uh, over uh, over the last uh, couple of months since Marcus Smart kind of took over as the primary playmaker. I was a little surprised they couldn't get more for Schroeder. Um, you know, Daniel Tice is whatever. Like, you know, he's, he's familiar, I guess, to that team and that organization, that roster. But... I kind of thought there'd be something more out there for Dennis Schroeder. But the Celtics were, and I wrote this as well on Wednesday, they, they kind of went in the last two weeks from you know, from sellers to, to buyers, to wanting players on the roster to help them kind of make this push in the final two months of the season. Maybe they think Daniel Tice, because Rob Williams can be unreliable physically, uh, is someone that you can plug and play uh, on this roster with this group of guys. No, it's a really good point. And... I think there's such strong support for Rob Williams that sometimes it blinds people to how bad it can still be at times. I think he just has a hard time maybe staying with the scouting report. Um, I was reading The Athletic. I forget who it was, so I apologize for not giving him credit. They brought up a great stat throughout this run where it was like, you know, when you took when you take the four guys, Tatum, Brown, Williams, I think smart over the stretch, like their per 100 has been absurd with those guys. And that mm -hmm. may even include um, Horford. So I'm not doing the best service to this, but there's some numbers that tell you, but then I think there's, if you keep watching it all the time, you're like, okay, I think this, I think the Tice thing was almost a bit of an insurance, not just the injury, but maybe they feel like after they played better, do they need somebody that's a little bit more locked in if they're actually going to try to do something in the playoffs, which I still have a hard time believing. The run has been great. By the way, Mannix, you deserve a lot of props when there was no one rowing in your direction where you said this team's identity is going to be defense first. And by the end of this, it will be a top 10 defensive team. You got some pushback for that. And it's been even better. But then you look at this last month plus with these great stats and all this stuff. Now, I don't think they've beaten a top eight seed in over a month. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know what? It's a big improvement from what it's been, but I still don't know really what it means for them. Yeah, I, I had a conversation the other day with someone in the organization who was saying, like, we're great at beating the crap out of bad teams. Like, you know, they're at, like, they're on a run on <laughs> right now. They are. Up, yeah, yeah. On teams that are, you know, having injury problems or whatever they are. So, I guess it's better than the alternative. I mean, they 
they had some bad losses in the month of December, even before then, games they should have won, games against teams that were ravaged by COVID. I remember the Minnesota loss was especially painful when they went on the road and lost to like the zombie Timberwolves and a couple more that were like that. So at least they're winning games uh, that they're supposed to win. I like what Jalen Brown's doing. Smart has been good for them as well. And I do like, again, to bring it back, bring it full circle, like, you know, just having like, they're never going to be a great offensive team. That's just like Tatum's a great offensive player. Brown's a good offensive player. The rest of them, you know, whatever streaky at, at times white, at least brings someone that can move the ball around. It's right around five assists, I think per game. Um, that's just going to make smarts life a little bit easier. Tatum's life a little bit easier. And maybe that can give them just enough of a push offensively that their defense will carry them to wins against good teams. Yeah, right. I think that's it. I mean, especially after that Minnesota loss. You know, I think back to that Thunder loss last year and you go, what is wrong with these guys? At least they're beating these bad (laughs) teams right now. Um, I don't Of the other deals that I was sifting through, I can just hear Detroit fans being excited, thinking Marvin Bagley's not the guy that probably is the (laughs) same guy. Uh, Held on to Jeremy Grant, though. Surprised they held on to Jeremy Grant. Are you? Well, I mean, I they guess still the have him another year. Yeah, know. and and there's from what I was able to understand, there's like there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen in Detroit, right? Like I'm not exactly <laughs> sure who's in power at any given time. Like Troy Weaver should be uh, because he was hired for that job and he's got the experience. But you got Arn Tellum there at the top, some other people around Troy as well that have big voices. Troy was a was and is a big Jeremy Grant fan, um, and. You know, him not getting traded maybe tells me that his voice carried the day. Now, at one point, I was told that there was discussions over a Jeremy Grant, Miles Turner swap with Indiana. Indiana didn't want to do that, especially after the Sabonis deal, because they believe Turner um, is someone that can anchor a team now that he's not, you know, flanked by Sabonis. But that that was the only interesting Grant deal that I heard of that made me kind of wonder, like, all right, well, that might make some sense for a young team to add a versatile big like Turner into that mix. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one because I, I just feel like if you're Detroit and you find anybody that's cool with being there and even, you know, Grant was cool taking 20 shots and putting up bigger numbers than he ever had before and you can say you're developing the rest of those guys, but I don't you know. know the, if, some, you, if somebody wants to stay in Detroit right now, yeah. like, I, I'm not sure that I'm in a hurry to trade that guy. No, and they, they've made, you know, it's now obviously shifted to Cade Cunningham, but after they signed him, they made him kind of like the marketing face of the franchise. Like he was the guy out there. He wanted to be there. He was you know, coming off a successful run in Denver. They want him to be kind of the de facto face of the franchise. I'm a little bit disappointed that Portland didn't go all out for him. Like they picked up a draft pick in that CJ McCollum deal. They had some pieces that maybe they could have made an appetizing offer. And all the Blazers really accomplished in the last week was shedding salary. Like yeah. what did they gain from Norman Powell, Robert Covington and CJ McCollum, you know, Jason Hart and uh, Josh Hart one and one draft pick like that. Is that enough for like your three marquee guys? I mean, I think it, to get those guys, you had to send out what two or three draft picks uh, in the first place. I, I didn't like it to me, like the, the Powell and the Covington deal happened too quickly. Like, were the Clippers going anywhere? Like that offer was going to be on the table, you know, on Thursday at two fifty nine. Like nope, nobody else was taking like Eric Bledsoe. Nobody cared about Keon Johnson. Like that, that was going to be on the table. I would have liked to have seen uh, Joe Cronin, a new GM, uh, maybe show a little more patience in that moment, and you know, wait to see if something opened up where somebody would give you a first round pick for Robert Covington, where they would give you a first round pick 
for Norman Powell. Maybe you couldn't get anything more than what you got for CJ McCollum, but that felt like a pretty light return for a player of McCollum's caliber. Now you're going into the offseason. And what exactly are you selling Damian Lillard on cap space? Like, A, when was the last free agent to sign in Portland? That, that's been a pretty long time as far as I can count. And who are you trading for into that cap space? Like, I just, I don't see the plan right now. It's just to create as much flexibility as possible, invest in Anthony Simons. Um, and that's it right now with the Blazers. That, that, they didn't, to me, not getting somebody to add to that mix like a grant uh, hurt them uh, after this deadline. Portland is probably, I, I don't know if you'd agree or not, but if you said the five worst free agency, like cap space destinations, I yeah. think it's in the bottom five. Um, and, you know, back to when it was staffed a little different, I know that that was a major concern. It's like, why, why do we want cap space? Nobody's coming here. You know, that was, that was very much a concern of the Neil Olshay regime. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that was actually vocalized, I think, during the Neil Olshay during yeah. meeting. The Neil regime, <laughs> and I don't know that he's the curtain there. Right. By the way, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Oh. Uh, look, I, another deal. The Obaka stuff. You know, I feel like if you're a Bucks fan, you haven't paid too close of attention since they beat you in the playoffs a few years ago. <laughs> you're like, that's awesome. We got that guy. He fights his ass off. I mean, Obaka was essential to the Raptors winning that title. What he did in Game Six at Golden State. He, you know, it's kind of lost and all the other things that happened. He was incredible. Um, but he is after back surgery. I mean, he's even in the lineup. So, you know, you can say it's Brooke Lopez insurance. The shooting numbers are actually probably a little better than you'd think. But we're talking about 15 minutes a game from a guy that's in and out in the lineup. So I thought it was just sort of minor insurance, which, you know, there was a lot of different pieces to the DiVincenzo thing. But it, it felt like they were kind of desperate to just do any any moving of the deck because the Brooke Lopez thing is still an uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you can count on Lopez coming back at all at this point. I mean, coming off. And when he comes back, what kind of player is he going to be? That's a real surgery, having back surgery there. And Ibaka, I think he's had the same thing, right? He had a back problem, back surgery. He had back surgery, yeah. Yeah, so, and look, I've watched him a little bit, having watched some Clippers game. He had a couple of good games, I think, in the last week or so. Um, but he's still, if you're playing Serge Ibaka more than 15 minutes a game, you're, you're having a, you, have, you have a problem. You have an injury issue or a foul trouble issue with a guy that's out there on the floor. I mean, he's almost, forget like, Lopez insurance. He's like Bobby Portis insurance, basically. Like if you, if something goes terribly wrong with Portis, at least you have Serge Ibaka with playoff experience to fall back on. But at this stage of his career and, and physically where he's at, I just don't think you can count him to give you more than spot duty in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, unless, unless he gets healthy here down the stretch or something like that, but I would just warn Bucks fans that maybe haven't been super locked into some of the Clippers rotations lately, <laughs> which is certainly a possibility. Uh, you're not getting the guy that you saw three years ago in the playoffs. Anything else that was interesting? You know, I'd heard a bunch of stuff on Atlanta, but nothing felt solid, and there you are. I, I'd heard, like John Collins, I felt like has been available for such a long time, yep. and then he kind of wasn't. You know, it was, it was all right. It felt like it was more aggressive. You had to be more aggressive to get him than maybe in the past. I think there were concerns about Herder and Bogdanovich and closing groups, but that's not really going to happen anyway. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but I also could see them looking at their team going, we got off to a bad start. We've kind of figured some things out here. Obviously, they need to get better defensively. But, you know, teams like Atlanta or even Golden State or Phoenix or Memphis, they're like, you know, maybe we don't want to switch up a ton from where we were. Yeah, I mean, if, if it ain't broke, don't go fixing it. I mean, I think... You know, if you go back to when Atlanta was really struggling and like Travis Schlenk was like radio call-ins down in Atlanta, like, you know, tattooing his team, that's when 
things were at peak panic. That's when, to go back to Simmons, that's when you probably could have extracted a King's ransom out of Atlanta at that point to, for them to want to shake things up. But they played better basketball in the last month. And um, yeah, there really wasn't much out there for that John Collins Bogdanovic package that they were talking about that, that would have made a difference. The Knicks tried some things, but they don't really have anything. Nobody wanted Julius Randle. Nobody's giving you anything for the, the Fournier Kemba Walker package. They tried Toronto on that. The Raptors had no interest in a tragic deal. Um, yeah, it, it, they just don't, uh, you know, outside of RJ Barrett, there's not a lot of guys on that team with any real value, especially when you consider Randall's contract at this point. So they're next to another team that really could have used something like something new into that injected into that group. Uh, they didn't get it. So you'll probably see more of the same from them the rest of the year. Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated. Get some rest, man. Appreciate it. You got it. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Damian Woody, ESPN a Super Bowl week veteran joining us here on the podcast. What's up, man? It's good to see you. I'm good, man. I'm good. It's always good to catch up with you. All right. Let's talk about this game first. Then we'll get to Damian Woody's story time because the people have been demanding it because every time you come on, you deliver. All right. I've talked with – we've had a bunch of offensive linemen on uh, on the show here recently. Joe Thomas, you had Mitchell Schwartz, Rich Schlereth, the whole deal. You're smart. Boy, (laughs) the fact that you got a bunch of – Husky guys, that means it's going to be a hell of a show. Yeah, no, it's um, uh, it sort of had worked out that way, but that's all right. You guys, you guys are great at this. Um, I keep looking at the Cincinnati part of it, and do you feel like they figured out anything after Tennessee against Kansas City? Because I think oh, some of you could be argued personnel wise. Simmons alone, even though I love Chris Jones, um, Simmons alone was was on a mission that day. But do you think any of, of the things that you've seen are fixable in, in the face of what this Rams front brings? No, it's not fixable. Um, you can't fix personnel at this point. And the Rams have better personnel on the defense a lot. Like, I could see Aaron Donald could easily be the Super Bowl MVP in this game. Like, that's how disruptive he could be against this uh, Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. Then combine that with Vaughn Miller. Oh, by the way, Leonard Floyd. Like, they got three guys that can really get after you. You can't double everyone. So, you know, that's just, that's the main storyline everyone's kind of – I think any smart football person is running with right now is how in the hell are the Bengals going to be able to block up these guys. They can do things schematically to try to help those guys out. Um, screens, run the ball, try to run, on, run the ball at them, change the tempo and make those guys tired. But ultimately, um, better talent wins. So we'll see how this Bengal offensive line holds up. What do you do with Donald? <sighs> man, that's a tough one, man, because... What would Skarnakia tell you guys? Because I, I always thought Scar could fix everything. Yeah, listen, he would, you know, he would just try to d- devise a game plan where there would be four, four hands, two people on him at all times. If we could take him away, we got a chance. We got a chance. So he's public enemy number one. We want four, we want we want uh, four hands on him. We want eyes on him at all times. 
we want to do some dirty stuff to kind of let him know, sending him a message that you're not going to be the one to wreck the game. You're absolute. Uh, we might let other people wreck the game, but you're not going to be the guy that's going to wreck the game. That's basically what he would say. Okay, who was the toughest interior guy you dealt with back in those days? Probably Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp was, you know, I, actually I faced Warren Sapp like my second year in the league, I believe. And the dude was, the dude was incredible, man. His low center of gravity, could get off the ball quick, as quick as anyone I've ever seen in my life. Strong as hell, like country strong. Like he had a complete package. And he knew how to rush the passer, so that was a lot for a, for a young buck coming into the league. Basically, were you were you like after the game, like wait a minute, a bit of a wake up call, or just it's a good thing I don't know. <laughs> we're in the AFC; I won't be seeing him that much anyway. I don't know. And well, listen, I'm like you know, sometimes you be like, damn, yeah, I know I'm good. You know, I'm I'm in my second year; things are settling down. And then you go against a guy like that, and you're like, man, I I ain't shit. I gotta get like I. I literally got to get, there's a whole lot of things I got to get better at. But at the same time, in retrospect, you're going against a Hall of Famer. Like, those guys are rare breeds. But, um, you know, the great thing about Warren Sapp was after the game, he told me, like, things like, big fella, you you a hell of an athlete, you a hell of a player. This is the things you need to do. These are things you need to work on if you're going up against a guy like me or someone similar. So he took the time out to give me some advice on that. No kidding. What did he say to you during the game, though? I'm sure it wasn't as friendly. Oh, he just talked trash. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, young buck, I'm going to wear you out today. I'm going to wear this ass out today. Like, that's basically what he was saying the whole game. And, and you then, were a like, talker, you, right? You were a talker. Did you say anything to him? Well, it's hard when you when you, you, hung, you, hang, you hang it on to your ass out there. It's like, this dude is talking, but I can't really say anything right now. Like, it's hard. So, uh, it, it, but it was like, honestly, after the fact, I was laughing during the game. It wasn't funny. Yeah, I know. It's, it's tough to come back when he's just, you're just physically getting dominated, you know, yeah. you're about to, about to tap out and you're trying to come up with comebacks. All right. Um, on the other side of the ball for Cincinnati, I think the weirdest thing through all the Joe Burrow love, and I love it too. Like, I get it. I love, I love guys like this. Um, I feel like nobody talks about how bad the defense has been. Hmm. Is it that bad? I mean, statistically, it's that bad. When you shut down the Chiefs at their place in the second half, you're probably doing something right. Is it a fluky 30 minutes? Like, how do you see the Cincinnati defense? Because I feel like that part of the lead-up has been maybe one of the most overlooked. I think that what the Cincinnati Bengals on defense have done, they've done a really good job of adjusting in-game. You know, because in the first half against the Chiefs, the Chiefs, I thought, I thought the game would be over at halftime. The Chiefs basically were doing everything they everything they wanted to. They did everything at will. Um, but here's what I would say also is that when the Chiefs didn't get any points at halftime, that changed the whole landscape of the game. It gave the Bengals momentum going into halftime. And I think the Bengals said at halftime defensively, you know what? We're playing a lot of zone. Um, we're trying to keep Patrick Mahomes in the pocket. That's not working. So what we're going to do is we're still going to try to keep Patrick Mahomes in the pocket. We're going to spy him, but we're going to play man. We're going to get on these guys. We're going to play man, and we're going to force Patrick Mahomes to hold the ball some. That's exactly what they did. They were tight coverage on the back end. Patrick Mahomes was kind of, you know, when you got a quarterback, you know, 
patting the ball, you got them. And, and it allowed the uh, Cincinnati Bengals rush to get home. And that was really the, the – um, that was a big that was a big adjustment by the Bengals in the second half, going from zone to a lot more main coverage on on the on the Kansas City Chiefs. When you're playing O line in in the the man zone thing, how much does that really change what you're doing, right? Because you're you're sending people in motion. The quarterback's trying to figure through, you know, making this call. You're turning back to him. How much does that impact what your job is? Well, a lot of times, like when you when you if you're a team and you use a lot of motion. Kansas City uses a lot of motion. Um, when teams are in man, what happens is it changes the strength of, of um, you know, it changes the strength. So say, for instance, um, the strength of, of the formations to the left. Well, if a guy goes in motion, now it changes the strength and it changes potential calls that we have up front. So, like, you always see offensive linemen identifying the mic first. That's where everything kind of goes as far as protection is concerned. So when teams do all that motion, it changes our calls up front to let everyone know this is the mic, this is this is where we need to go on protection. Guys know where their, you know, receivers know where their hot snows type of things are. So, you know, that's what that's what happens with motion a lot of times. Did you have any part of you like where have you been as a Stafford guy? I don't know if there's a, a common a commonality amongst you to be like, hey man, Detroit, huh? Uh, <laughs> you didn't have him there though. Kitten was no, here last I, year. I, yeah. I left. I left the um the year before he got there. Yeah. So I right. never I never crossed paths with him. Now I was with Megatron, and I could say I'm like, yeah, this dude is he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Like you could just tell by the way he moved, he was going to be a Hall of Famer. But I think Stafford is a guy that. I think he's a really good quarterback. I always felt like he was a stat stuffer, though. Like, he put up a bunch of numbers. There's no question about it. But he just, I mean, couldn't win a, he couldn't win a playoff game. Now, quarterback is, is the most, you know, dependent position in, in sports. But at the same time, it's just like, this guy can't elevate. He can't elevate this team. Like some of these elite elite quarterbacks that we've seen, you know, Patrick Mahomes, you know, Josh Allen can can you know can put a team on his back, those type of things. But um, once he left Detroit and go and went with Sean McVay, I'm like, okay, that's gonna be different. Sean McVay knows how he, Sean McVay's a hell of a coach and knows how to use his talent, especially especially you know quarterback like Matthew Stafford. So. I'm not surprised to see him in a Super Bowl at all. What's the biggest difference that jumps out with the way these two teams run their offense? Like the stuff that they want to kind of tease you with that they may come back to in the second half? I think at Sean McVay's core, he wants to run and, and run play action. Like he wants to be physical. That's what Sean McVay wants to do at his core. Um, that's why he traded for Sony Michelle and, and, um, because he needed that aspect to his game, to, to the offense. He didn't want to just have it all on the quarterback shoulder because honestly, you put it all on Matthew Stafford without any semblance of running game, you asked him for trouble. You know, we saw some of the turnovers during the season. And so I think, you know, Sean McVay wants to have that balanced attack, wants to be able to run the ball, play action, all those type of things. 
Zach Taylor actually comes from that similar tree. But when you got a quarterback like Joe Burrow, I think he, I think Zach Taylor's like, we got a special cat at quarterback. And, you know, we need to make sure that the ball is in his hands, you know, most of the time. So I think they're built a little different. They have Joe Mixon, they're running back Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon adds a different element at the running back spot. He can run the ball. He, I mean, to me, is what top two running back in the AFC, one of the best backs in the in the league. You know, he he can run the ball. You can throw him to him in the passing game. But I think the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow, they, I think they lean more heavily on Joe Burrow than I think the way Sean McVay um, schemes his offense up with, with Matthew Stafford. There's been some Burrow-Brady stuff, uh, which is just disrespectful. Let's give it a little while here. But I understand at least the personality, the way they carry themselves a little bit. Although I think actually Burrow's even more, he's more subdued than Brady is. I think Brady actually gets after guys a little bit more than maybe we've seen from Burrow. Let's go back to that year. You guys go on that run, you win the Super Bowl. But he's backing up Drew. We know the story. What did you think of Tom when he was the backup? Were there any signs? Of superstardom, you know, you could never predict anything like that. Um, here's what I did see, though. Um, I saw a guy who was – remember when Tom came in, Tom was a fourth-string fourth string quarterback. So this is a guy that methodically worked his way up from fourth string to being Drew Bledsoe's backup. How often does that does that happen? And so, you know, they were, you could see the intangible. Like, the dude had command uh, in the huddle. He was smart. He knew to play. He knew the playbook. He knew, you know, pretty much where to go with the football. A lot of it's just opportunity, you know. And um, and then once Tom got his opportunity, you know, during that Jets game, I think Tom was managed well and was allowed to develop properly. You know, during that time, we were led by a defense running game. It, we weren't a quarterback-centric team. But as Tom grew into it, you know, and I would say especially like the Super Bowl, that last drive, man, that that that's what to me, that's what propelled him propelled him to kind of superstar. Did you guys laugh when you went back and heard the broadcast and Madden thought you guys would take a knee? Of course. Like, of course, because it's just like you know what type of competitor I am? Like, why in the hell would we take a knee and and and, and you know cede all the momentum to the to the St. Louis Rams at that time? They had all the momentum. We were like, listen, this is, we're playing the greatest show on turf. We were like 14-point underdogs. We got a chance to etch our name in the history books with this drive. So let's go do it. Like, it wasn't even – there wasn't any, any question at that time what we were going to do. Yeah. Um, as the Tom thing grew, though, I always felt like they didn't trust him that much to throw the football in the beginning. <laughs> You know, that that first playoff run, was it his physical development? Was it just more trust? Like, how did that pivot to now we're going to actually let you get, be be the focus of the offense where clearly, I think he might have been, after defense in the running game, he was like the third priority on that team that won that first Super Bowl. Well, I think trust is earned, right? You know, you can't, people don't give it to you, you have to earn it. So I think through Tom in the process, you know, it's all about, that's what development is all about. Development is about not only your physical improvement on your physical skill set, 
but also earning the trust from your coaching staff to be able to, you know, trust that you're going to make the right plays, you're going to make the right calls, and ultimately you're going to go out, you're going to be the one to go out there and execute. So I think that's what Tom did over time was, you like that, Tom over time. Um, <laughs> that's, what he, <laughs> that's what he did, man, is his, he earned the trust of the coaching staff to be able to, you know, gain more responsibility. And once he once that once that started happening, man, he took it and ran with it like he was saying both. When he retires, do you have to send a text? Or I, I know your personality, you're probably like, I don't I don't need to do that. Like, why do I need to do that? Like <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, bro, like I'm never the type of guy to like, you know, shoot somebody, shoot somebody and say, Hey bro, congratulations on on retirement. Like <laughs> That's so corny to me, man. It's like I'm gonna either I'm gonna you know we're gonna chat something like that, but I'm not gonna I'm not the type to send somebody a text. I now every time I see you have a good segment, I'm gonna say congrats, Wood, on an awesome you were you were great on Get Up. <laughs> <laughs> you were so good on Get Up. Happy for you, my man. You deserve everything. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go back. Let's do a little story time then. What's your favorite playoff game? Is it the Raiders game? Is it the Tuck Rule game? Oh man, that's that that that's one of them. Yeah, that's that's probably top two. Um, because that's going to go down in history. You know, that's 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 part of history right there. But, you know, everything that's great about football. And I always said football is nothing but reality TV. Everything that's great with football. It's encapsulated in that game. You got the weather. You got, you know, the big, bad Oakland Raiders at the time. You know, the events that happened during the game. What happened because of that event during the game? I mean, you couldn't have, you couldn't have written a better script um, from that game. So that's that's a that's a top two game in my in, in throughout my career. Okay, I know everybody always asks guys that have been to the Super Bowl this, which is probably kind of annoying, but I feel like it's it's a rule in whatever radio audio thing you're doing. Your first Super Bowl, New Orleans, you mentioned you're a huge underdog. Did you guys think you were going to, like, let me put it this way. I, I also know this one. You can sit there in a room and say, hey, we can beat these guys. What did Damian Woody, 2001, 2002, what did you actually think about playing the Rams? Oh, we feel like we're going we're gonna to beat them. We're going to beat them because remember we played them during a regular season. I think that regular season game was the reason you beat them because you played a completely you blitzed them all day long, and it was like the best loss you could have possibly have. And then you totally changed your approach defensively too. So go we ahead. so we played them. You know, obviously in the regular season they had a big bad you know high flying circus, and yes, we lost the game, but we learned a lot about ourselves during that game. I mean, we went toe-to-toe with them the whole game. And so after that, we were like, this is the greatest show on turf. Like, we can beat these boys. And then when we happened to play them again in the Super Bowl, I knew we were going to beat them. I knew that the coach was going to put together a hell of a game plan just based off the last time we played them. Um, and we feel like we had the personnel to go out there and beat them. Yeah, I think it's the same thing with the Giants when they beat the undefeated Pats because they played him competitively. They scored on him at the end of the regular season. And mm-hmm. I, I think that really 
And I don't care if you're a grown man, pro athlete, whatever. When you feel like, wait, this is, we did it. We, we lined up against these guys. They're not superheroes. We actually go ahead and do this. So what were the rules when you were on the road? This is a long time ago, but what were the rules when you, when you get into a town like New Orleans and you're traveling for the Super Bowl? How does that work? <laughs> well, usually, see, this is how it usually goes. Like, the way the NFL does, I don't, other leagues don't count, but the way the NFL does it, those cities that they deem dangerous or have too much fun, you would always get in late. So they eat up all your time. You know, when we go, go to places like New Orleans, Miami, you know, uh, when you play the Washington football team or teams like that, that there's a lot of just quote unquote distractions. We would always get there, you know, late. But every time so we wait, play, the team, the team would line up the team flight to have you land so late that it wasn't really even an option. Yeah, like your time was eating up. Like you weren't going out and running around and do a whole bunch of things because they knew like we can't we can't have all this time for our guys to 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 mingle around in this city. Like you're asking for trouble. Now, when we went to when we played Buffalo, Green Bay, we would get there hella early and be sitting in the hotel all damn day because there's nothing to do in those cities. So that's how that's how they would play it in the NFL. Okay, but the problem here is this isn't one a one day stop. You're going to be true. there the whole that's time, true. so they can't like at some point you're going to be on the loose. So what would the would the team tell you like, hey, if we get here Monday or we get here, I don't know, what do you get on uh, the weekend before? So and you didn't have the extra bye week then. So wait a minute, you didn't have the bye week, right? It was the, it was immediately because it was after nine eleven, wasn't that true? And then you they were kind of like making believe, up time yeah. that they lost. I think that's true. So. You had to get there probably a little later based on that anyway, but what what's the team protocol of like, okay, Monday, Tuesday are yours or Wednesday? I, how does that work? Yeah, so I, I believe like Monday, we did have like one day where we got, we got to kind of, you know, hang out and chill and stuff like that. But Bill had us locked down for most of the week. Like we were locked down, like hard, hard curfew. Like our curfew was like, I want to say maybe 11, if not earlier. Like, we were locked down. The Rams, they didn't have that. They were out all week. You know how I know this? Because all my family members saw the Rams and all the and all the venues on Bourbon Street in the middle of the night, partying, doing all types of things while we were on lockdown. So we had, like, one night where we could get out and, and, and enjoy ourselves and be out on the town. After that, we were we were locked down. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so you you went out though, right? You had to have big yeah. wood at that age, what twenty three years old or whatever. Like you must have yeah. been out at some point. Yes, I was okay. out. So did you As break curfew? Like I was in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> did you break curfew then? No, like no, I didn't break curfew because it was like it was so late, like. They gave us a lot of flexibility. So it was so late. It was no breaking curfew. I just had a good time, man. And then once I got tired, I'm like, man, I'm taking it back to the hotel. Okay. All right. And you were, I think, 24, 25, just, to do, just so we keep any investigative reports here. We just want to make sure we're buttoned up here. Okay. Right. But then what happened? Because you had family with you. I did. I had family with me. And I had my younger brother. My younger brother's like nine years younger than me. And so... We're out, you know, we're out and about on, on, on Bourbon Street and doing and going to different places. And he's with me. 
so nobody really messes with him. Okay? So, you know, I'm like, so it's starting to wind down for me. And my younger brother is like out with like my cousin and stuff, but he was supposed to come back to the hotel with me. All of a sudden he disappears. Like he disappears out of thin air. And I'm like, where the hell is he at? And so I'm like, okay, I'm going back to the hotel because I ain't got time to be looking at all this other stuff. And come to find out, <laughs> my younger brother's in the strip club. Like he's all <laughs> of like 15. Like he's like 15. And he's like in the strip clubs and all this other stuff. My my because I brought my grandparents down too. My grandparents was pissed, were pissed, like my parents were pissed, but it's New Orleans. It was like Mardi Gras season two. So, I mean, what could you do? Did they actually get mad at you? Yeah, they tried to get mad at me. They were <laughs> like, he was supposed to come back to the hotel with you. What happened? I'm like, look, he ran off. He ran off with our cousin. I ain't got time for this. I'm trying to enjoy myself before I got to lock in on the game. Like, y'all got to take care of that, not me. So, but... He had a great time. Um, he he and he he indulged in everything that is New Orleans and and uh, if you talk to him today, like he like that was like one of the, one of his most memorable experiences that he's ever had in his life. He make it through the rest of the week, or was he? <laughs> oh, he made it. He made it through the rest of the week. But let's just say it was an eye opening experience for him. <laughs> he, he, he aged in years in just one night yes he did and yes he did <laughs> <laughs> hey look enjoy the game enjoy all the work this week and i always appreciate you taking out the time man you're the best oh man anytime man always good talking to you you got a pick uh, i'm going rams i think right. the rams i think the rams get it done all right i can see how you get there talk soon man. Yeah. <laughs> all right man Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. 
Let me tell you what's required. Before we get to life advice, videos circulating last night, social media. <laughs> uh, I think we got, we need to have a little, the soft jabs may stop after watching Kyle outside <laughs> yeah. of a bar last night or inside. It looked like a hybrid inside outside situation because he was firing darts and tanking some beers and he was hitting the, uh, the one punch machine there. I don't know what the name of that one is specifically. He was putting up some big numbers, 730, and I think we get to 744. Big, powerful overhand right, sides it up, you know, kind of at the apex of the thrust. Um, big drag off the cigarette on the second punch, the record-breaking second punch, and then just <laughs> turned on it. And so, uh, yeah, there's been a, there's people demanding a reassessment of who you are and what you're capable of after watching these videos. So really props to Kyle again. Thanks. All I can say, back's better. Felt good to get back out there and start punching the old machine again, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, it was outside, by the way. It was outside. Um, yeah, that's what I figured. I mean, I didn't know if there's maybe a canopy over or something like that, but I didn't think the frolic, frolic room doesn't let you smoke darts inside, right? No, definitely not. I mean, probably once upon a time and probably after the doors closed, maybe, you know, it's one of those places that the smells, it's like, who would really know if you smoked a cigarette in here uh, six hours from now? Who knows? But no. So, is there anything else that we need to know about what what's the name of the machine? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it looked That's just fair. like every other machine. It was covered when I first got there, and then it magically became uncovered like an hour later. So uh, my buddy Jim Cunningham was with me, and I just used all of his singles. Well, the rumor was weren't the weren't the part of my take guys? Was there something going on with them last night? Because I I I kind of feel like maybe it was there was a point to prove about like the the fighting in thing that we were talking about a couple months ago about who'd win in a brawl, and I think oh, you dude. had a point to prove. Is that what's going on? Definitely not, dude. I went there to see Big Cat because um you know he and all Ryan's other friends went down to Manhattan Beach a couple nights ago, and you know I got a late invite, and it was just gonna be a, <laughs> it was gonna be a hectic to get over there. So I was like, I, I Jim told me that he was gonna be at um at Saddle Ranch doing the the yak thing all all week. So I just um I just went there to check him out. I had a I got off early from work, um so I did that for a little while. But um I was at a table by myself, and I kind of didn't really know many of the other guys on stage. Not to be mean or anything. I just you know I know Big Cat. That's kind of who I know. Um, so, yeah. so I was, um, sitting at the bar a lot, the, you know, the wait staff was a little, um, stretched thin, we'll say. So I just figured, you know, I went to the bar a couple of times. So, um, yeah, I was just sitting there and that's what I do. If there's a punching machine, regardless of who's doing a show and who's there, Rudy, I'm going to punch the machine. You know what I mean? Well, regardless of if you meant to send a message or not, I think a message was sent. I think oh, we could all agree. I, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not, guys. Just, that's what, that's what dudes are out. saying. <laughs> dudes are saying, huh? Dudes are saying that <laughs> messages were sent. Yeah, the streets were <laughs> streets were vocal. All right, let's get Jeez. to it. Lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. All right, let's check in with a hot guy here. 621823, cycling instructor at my gym, keeps flirting with me despite my attempts to rebuff her. Parentheses, I have a girlfriend. I recently took up Saturday and Sunday morning cycling classes at the gym. I prefer to work out in the morning and the weekends, and this class is the only one that fits with my schedule. The class composition is roughly 75% female, 25% male. Female instructor who works both classes, let's call her Veronica, will not stop making advances towards me. This poor guy. Um, some examples. One, she found out I like Taylor Swift. Who doesn't love setting a personal record while blasting some red? That's, of course, mm. Taylor's version. Did that Peloton ride. It was a good time. Yeah. Do you got anything on that song? No, I just, well, listen, we all know I'm Team Joan Hall, so that album was a little bit sensitive to me because I am Team Joan Hall. Uh, so all too well, I'm not a huge fan of that song, but I'm a Taylor fan in general. 
Did we find another skinny white guy with hair that you like, by the way? Did we did we text about this? Well, no, but I was thinking of other guys after we talked about this. Pattinson fired up for the new Batman movie. That guy. The list is long. The list is way longer than we've touched on here. Like you you could probably not even get all of them in in your top 10. No, there's too many guys. Pattinson would be in there. Honestly, like Hardy's like a little bit different because he's like he's shorter and more stocky. He's my favorite actor. But uh, Pattinson's been wrong. I mean, listen, he was in um, uh, Tenet, which I thought he was awesome in. And he's in the new Batman. I'm fired up to see that movie. So he another skinny guy, good hair, uh, a little bit edgy. I don't really know what his deal is. He was in some, you know, Twilight. I didn't see any of those movies, but he was in them. Uh, so he's rising up the rankings pretty quick. Were you a big okay. Heath Ledger guy back in the day? I actually like, I liked him as Joker, but no, no, it wasn't really my scene. He's, I don't know. We'll see. Good hair though. Good hair guy. Yeah. So it sounds fairly dismissive of, of Heath Ledger. Okay. Back to the uh, guy who women can't control themselves around. All right. Um, so now and every time she plays a Taylor Swift song, she calls me out by name in the class. Quote, this one's for you. I'm not going to say the guy's name. She then <laughs> proceeds to stare at me for the rest of the song. Maybe she's just trying to set a personal best. It's a power move. Like After it. class, she walks right up to me before I have a chance to disembark and asks me about my plans for the weekend. Uh, number three, I am the only person in the class Veronica does this to. I should know that I've never leaned into her advances. In fact, I've alluded to my girlfriend several times in the hopes that she will take a hint and stop. She is not. I've yet to tell my girlfriend about the situation as I doubt it will go over well. Hey, babe, going to that cycling class with the instructor that constantly flirts with me. Me for some blue bottle after, though? I see it as I have three options. Explicitly tell Veronica to stop flirting with me. I'm worried she will gaslight me, though. I think I used that correctly. Did he? I think so. I'm not totally clear either. I just I don't know if good. he did. But I'm not 90% yeah. on what that term means. I just hear it a lot. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it sounds. People love using it. And I was like, I, I think I said it to somebody the other day. I'm like, dude, I'm just gaslighting you. He's like, asshole. And I'm like, wait, what? I thought, <laughs> All right. I'm like, imagine if you had gas lanterns back in the day. That would have been a huge improvement to your town. But I don't think that's. I think there's a different. That might be the fourth definition. Old English Oxford. Um. Okay. Or Oxford English. I think. Yeah. All right. So. Um. And then she's going to say that I'm imagining everything. Two, bring my girlfriend to class with me. I worry that Veronica will flirt with me in front of my girlfriend. Three, stop attending the cycling class and start city biking everywhere. Okay. All right. Look, um, not the biggest problem we've ever tried to solve here on the podcast. The, the only question that matters here is how much do you love this cycling class? Like, is this the only one? Like you said, you like doing it in the mornings. Okay. You're doing a Saturday, Sunday routine. Is this the only one? Now, I think you said it's equinox in here i don't think you know there's plenty of them so i don't think that this is too weird um i imagine you know look if you like equinox and that's your equinox then it's probably too far to the next one although the city you know a little if it, it, i don't know if this isn't the city he said city bike so i'm just kind of talking out loud it doesn't mean it's actually new york city so uh because if you tell your girlfriend she's not going to want you to go to class if you bring her to the class and then you think the cycling instructor is going to start flirting with you even more if that actually happens DiCaprio, um, then your girlfriend's not going to want you to go to the class. So if you love this class and you're not doing anything wrong, and it's not that you love this attention, because clearly you don't, which is actually pretty rare. So actually, you know, a couple claps for our guy here. Then the prioritize, like, okay, cool. She's going to hit on me a little bit. I'm just going to ignore every time. I mean, it's not that hard to ignore somebody that's flirting with you. You know, there's a lot of guys going, yeah, exactly. That is true. 
Um, so <laughs> well, it sounds like, yeah, right. Like I, I think <laughs> like you're right, Ryan. I've noticed that when I do, I don't always get a reciprocation. Uh, so look, I would, I would, it sounds like this bike class really means a lot to you. So I wouldn't tell anybody about it and then have a fucking cute cycling instructor pay attention to you every now and then, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And you can keep saying over and over again, I have a girlfriend, I have a girlfriend. And guess what? If she's a cycling instructor at Equinox and she's attractive, there's a pretty good chance she's going to pivot somewhere else and get attention somewhere else. So this isn't that big of a deal. Um, but if you do tell your girlfriend, based on what you've alluded to here, it sounds like you're not going to be going to this class anymore. Next thing you know, you can be at Orange Theory, you know, counting shit down, keeping track of your heart rate. And that might not be your speed. Who knows? Yeah, Orange Theory looks a little small, aren't they? They always send them out on the block to run around, sort of. Usually those places are a little tiny and they just use the, the I don't know anything about it. The world around Can- them as part of the gym. Canel used to go a lot. He was he was super into it, right? I think so. Is that the one where you're staying like the orange level? I don't even know what the class is. Like basically, like you work out at a certain level for like an entire thirty minutes, and that's the point of the exercise. I don't even know. I don't even know how. I, I think it's more that. about the interactive part of it, of like you're sort of competing, and you can kind of see what everybody's doing. A little scoreboard situation. Yeah, right. Which is why Canel probably loved it, but then yeah. it was like probably try to figure out a way to break the rules. So I, <laughs> I would say you got to figure out how to like this, pal. I just figure out a way to like yeah. it, man. Figure out a way to just boost your ego a little bit. And you know what? If you don't, this is karma for the 99% of times this happens to women. And you just have to take it for the dudes. Like if if you don't like it, then this is karma. Well, you know, not everybody wins, even though somehow you're winning and feel like you're losing, pal. Yeah, it's not a ton of sympathy for you, probably in a lot of corners here. Um, Taking it for the dudes might be a great t-shirt slash hoodie. (laughs) Could be misconstrued, I think. I don't know. He's a hero. Uh, He did, by the way, use gaslighting correctly. Um, So congrats to him. Uh, Do you want to lay a definition on me real quick? So I yeah, it's to... basically like gaslighting happens when like basically like someone tries to ch- like change your sense of reality. So they like say you do things that you didn't do, right? So if, so if he went up to her and was like, "Hey, like I don't really like this flirting," she should be like, "What? I'm not flirting with you." And then you're like, "What? What, what the fuck? Yeah, you are flirting with me for me every time I come in this class." And then it's just kind of like messing with your head. It's an abusive tactic. Essentially, such a broad word, man. I don't yeah. know. I'll never use it correctly, but thanks for trying. Yeah, I had to look it up. Trust me. Shout out to Google Machine. But did no, there's, say, pl- there's, there's plenty of people freaking out right now that we didn't have the definition nailed. But I've heard it used so many times incorrectly now that I was like, yeah, I kind of thought that's what it was. But I think that's what's I, been throwing me off. It's the right. incorrect use. Yeah, I've been getting gaslit my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting using it now. Did, like, yeah. Wait, did he say that the instructor knows he is dating someone? He, yes. He knows that he, okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, so he clearly said she doesn't if he, care. Hardo move, if he, respect it. Right. I mean, he even said if, his, if he brings his girlfriend, he feels like she's going to turn it up a notch. You should. You should. Well, actually, you shouldn't do that. But don't I, say, I would want don't you to do, do that just to see what would happen. But the thing is, this, Ryan, you're right. This will pass at some point. At some point, she's going to get bored because you're not giving her attention or somebody else, some new hotter guy is going to come in that she's going to probably bother. And you're not going to be able to find her on the Equinox. It's probably close to you. So I think you just got to stick it out. Right. I mean, I could make some other assumptions here that may seem insensitive in these times. Um, so I'm just making the right assumption that I'm pretty good chance she's Equinox cycle instructor. And by the way, like I've been to a few gyms in my life. You probably could find another class, you know, if it's this big of a deal. Part of me thinks you just wanted to tell the show that you have a fitness instructor after you because it's great. It's a great time. It doesn't happen to many of us, but when it does happen to me once, one time. Oh boy. Look back fondly on those years. All right. Uh, <laughs> I would say this thing could come and pass before your girlfriend either, never needs to find out. Just one yeah, of those no, things I, that you dealt with that didn't have to be uh, brought up anytime. T 
take it for the dudes. That's what Kyle said. Okay. <laughs> That's right. uh, let, let's try to do let's try to do two more here. What's up? 2359175. This past weekend, two of my buddies and I went out to a few bars in the town we grew up in in New England. Uh, I know the area. I'm not going to say where it is. Great town. We stopped by this somewhat hipsterish bar to grab a couple espresso martinis as a sort of pregame for Friday night. Get that energy up. Um, when we got to the bouncer at the front of the bar, he checked each of my friend's IDs and handed them back. When he got to mine, he immediately started bending it and looking at it back and forth with a somewhat annoyed look on his face. He asked me my date of birth, et cetera, and was like, this ID doesn't even look like you, to which I told him, in fact, it was me, but just a picture of me when I was 16 because I renewed my ID online to avoid having to spend hours at the DMV. My friends got a kick out of this, and we were laughing out loud as the bouncer shit on my license. He insisted that I needed to get a new ID because this was really not acceptable, to which I told him he was the first person who ever had an issue uh, when I'd handed them my license. This only seemed to annoy him even more, yet he begrudgingly let us into the bar um, because the three of us are clearly all over the age of 21. I got to tell you, when you say the line, clearly all of us are over the age of 21 when you're 23, I don't know that that's like (laughs) the clearest thing that's ever been observed, but I'll just keep going here. I felt like that was an important detail because there's also one other thing that happened here that I think is really important that most people aren't going to pick up on. All right, continuing. But that's not the end of the story. As we're walking to our seats towards the back of the bar, one of my buddies remarked, quote, that guy fucking sucks. Oh, boy. Ah, boy. Not loud enough for the bouncer to hear, but loud enough for the people around him to hear. And one of the busboys overheard it. And immediately they booted us from the bar because they, quote, don't tolerate that kind of attitude. We were incensed, but we left without issue. Uh, pretty much spent the next hour sulking about it, or at least I did. They still thought it was pretty funny. I suppose all this is to ask, are we the assholes for thinking the bouncer was being a jerk? This is the first time I've ever gotten a second look at my ID. It's just a picture of me only with a mop of hair rather than the short haircut I have now. Also, how long should I wait before going back there? I do love that bar and don't want to have uh, to give up visiting it because my friend made an off-color remark. Um, but I also don't want to show up at the door and look like an idiot when they tell me to get lost either. Love the show, especially life advice. All right. Okay. I'd give it a month. I'd give it a month. You know, you didn't stab anybody. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. And you're not actually the one that said it. Uh, but if it's the same bouncer, he's probably going to remember because he's going to remember your ID. I think that, you know, the assumption that you had made was, you know, why are you going to give me a hard time about my ID when, I mean, look at 23, it may have looked weird. Okay. So part of me sides with the bouncer. If this place is strict, you know, you got like, dude, 23 instead of 21 or 20, like that shit's all over the place. I've seen 18 look like 25. I've seen 25 look like 16. I mean, it's just weird. You know, it's just science, man. Um, again, it's dependent upon how strict the place is. I would say that I didn't work in the most strict areas when I used to card <laughs> people, um, a couple places, but most of the time, no, there is something very telling though. Uh, one, you said it's a town in new England, which I know the town. The other is that if this guy's working the door and it's clearly a real ID and he's looking at you and he's thinking the picture doesn't add up, which I don't think is that problematic like i think that makes sense that you don't you admit you don't look like the guy in the picture because it's from so long ago which is your own house that you want to deal with but that he was bending it and kind of doing the bend is this thing fake or whatever you don't do that with a real license you don't bend it like you either know it's fake or it isn't because you've seen thousands of them like i got to the point where i could tell immediately all right and i might do the bend 
if it was a night where they were like, don't let anybody in because the liquor inspector's coming, I was like, all right, fine. I'll be, I'll be tough about it tonight. Um, until like 11. And then, <laughs> you know, I might, I might bend and flip it around, not like ruin it like some assholes, but I'm doing it like it's a poker game and I'm seeing if you're going to crack. I'm watch. I'm not even doing anything with a license. I'm watching you pretending I'm not watching you to see if you crack and then whatever. Um, in this case, if he's a guy that's been doing this a long time and he's fucking around, he's bending it, that may lead me to another conclusion. Is that all door guys? They're not all of them are super cool. I know that blows your mind. Some guys love being a door guy more than fucking anything. And for whatever it is that they went through, maybe they weren't the coolest guy. Maybe they didn't make the football team. Maybe they thought Paul Blart was a documentary. <laughs> there are guys that are so fucking pumped to have that power now that sometimes they do, as your friend said, fucking sucks. But I can't make a ruling on this because the fact that your friend would say that, and again, in your early 20s, the guys in my group, we would have said it. We would have said it. So I'm not judging you there. I'm not saying it's great, but I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it either. I think the whole lesson in all this is that there's there's all sorts of factors. He could have been the worst and you guys could have been right. You guys probably could have been dicks. You know, he might have just been simply doing his job at a stricter place. It was like, this is sort of weird. It doesn't look like you. I don't know why he'd be bending it because he should know it's a real license versus a fake license. I don't even know what fakes would even look like anymore. I imagine the technology is off the charts. Um, and then again, you'd be scanning stuff anyway, I think, right? Yeah, you'd be scanning stuff, which basically eliminates all the stuff that we used to have to do back in the day where dudes started taking erasers over stencils. I mean, this is like prehistoric times. So that's a whole other part of the game and I'm not even aware of other than just now playing it back in my head that I've seen that a bunch. Ruling, give it a month. And if he's still on your case, then I think we've answered a lot of questions about where his head is at. Um, yeah, a uh, couple things. One, for me, when the new the new New York State came out in 2014, when it went from like looking like this one to this one, when the new New York State came out, the guy at Mahoney's, which, you know, we've got a checkered pass, but I'm still good there. Uh, that's the one where my buddy's been banned for, you know, 10 years and counting, but... So when these new ones came out, it was like fresh. It was fresh. I think it because I mine was issued in October of 2014. And I think I was home for Thanksgiving or something. And this guy's been working there for probably since I was in diapers and still just loves every minute of it. The bouncer who is in question. And I went there with the new ID. And he was like, this is a fake. I was like, no, this is the new New York State. You know, it, the new IDs have been out for a while. And he's like, it's a right. fake. It's a fake. And it's like, Pal, do you see all these like things on the back? Do you have anything to scan or whatever? He's like, no, nah, we don't have a scanner. It's a fake, pal. I don't know what to tell you. And I was like, I was really upset. It's a little emasculating. But again, it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to knock him out and then knock three other bouncers out and then settle up at the bar for a whiskey? Like, no, that's never going to happen. So you just kind of have to take the L there and try not to, you know, ruin your chances to come back. So you did that. And yeah, it feels yucky inside for a moment. He's got the power and he feels great and you feel a little emasculated. And it's not because you, you know, don't feel like you could take them. That shouldn't even cross your mind. It's just that nothing good ever, like you won't get your way no matter what. If they're not letting you in, there's like almost no room for negotiation. So yeah, you should have just, you should have just kept your mouth shut. And even though it sounded like it was one of his friends, I'm just saying it, it happens when you're not wrong at all. And you just have to, just have to roll with the punches. So yeah, I think you can go back soon because you didn't say anything other than what was overheard. No, if, if he's still on, 
Right. If he's still on your case a month later because one of your other friends said something, the only reason I think he would ever even remember it is because the ID part of this whole thing would be like, oh, you're the kid that looks like he's 15, but it's a real picture of the whole thing. Hey, didn't one of your friends say this? Then if he's like, no, you can't come in a month later after your friend said something, then you kind of have your answer about his entire program that we were initially been asking about the first time. But you've also said some things too. You're like, well, I don't want to go up and then get turned away and look like a loser. All right. What's how long is that transaction? 12 seconds? Yeah. Like you will get through that. You will get through that. You know, you find it. Then you know where you stand. All right. So there you go. You just have to go somewhere else for your espresso martinis pregame. And sometimes well, bars can get like, you know, they might just be fresh off a raid. Like everything seems good and then it's not. And then it's fresh like, off a raid. Well, whatever it's called. It's like, you know, I don't, know, on it. I don't know how this happens, but guys, you know, especially guys who are really, really, you know, into being a bouncer. It's like, hey, if if anybody's in here caught, you know, I'm going to lose my job and this is my whole life. But that, like sometimes it's just the cops come in and they're like, we know, we know for a fact that there's 19 year olds running around in here. And I don't think that's what this bar was. Be like, yeah, we had SWAT here on Tuesday, guys. Get a tight. Well, it could even be, it could have been a month ago too. Who knows? I'm just saying like, you never know why those bouncers are the way they are, but you can pretty much give a good guess why we got raided. I was managing a bar. We got raided on a Wednesday night. It's awful. Never opened again. It was a college bar, right though? Yeah. Yeah. I was managing yeah. it. I was, uh, two years out of school, but I was still up there. And uh, I've told this story before, but there was this huge weekend incident overcrowding, people freaking out about it. So the town hall was like, all right. And the police, the whole way it works, just the scene out of the wire, less at stake. They were like, all right, first busy place you see cracked down. And it, we got, we got run over. And I'm just standing at the door going, uh oh, this is probably not good. And I was in charge. Like there wasn't, the owner wasn't there. It was just me. And I'm 23. <laughs> I had guys like girls were jumping out of the, we had a garage door that opened that was on a patio, but it was more of a window, so you couldn't go in and out of it. People were jumping over the railing, getting out of there. It was mayhem. The cops were actually like, they were like, where's your 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 occupancy thing? And I just said, I, you know, I don't know, in a drawer. He's like, you don't know your occupancy off the top of your head? I was <laughs> like, no. And the thing is, is no one ever enforced it, ever. And then they decided they were going to make an example at a first yeah. busy place, and it happened to be us because we had an Alpha Chi 18 and over party that was hosted. So that was that was even worse. Like then they carted every single person. They they corralled everybody and carted everybody on the way out. And they were like, we counted 120 underage people or something like that. I was like, yeah, it was 18 and over. He's like, most of them were shit faced, dude. I was like, well, you know, not my problem. Yeah, we can't keep track. <laughs> can't keep track of it all. Uh, yeah, <laughs> prove they got it here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, it was lit. Vibes are tight in here. I don't know what to tell you. They all came um, in drunk. Must have been a party around here somewhere. We were playing um, the belly soundtrack start to finish. It was going off. Uh, <laughs> it was closed forever then? Was the fines just too big because they hit you with every single one or something? Did you say it never opened again? Yeah, I actually had to sit in front of town hall like on this community access channels and I'm sitting here like <laughs> talking on behalf of the bar to open up and I'm 23 and they just, I mean, like, this has got to be a joke. <laughs> I'd lost before I ever sat down. Although it was funny because I'd walked around town and I ran into like a few adults. They're like, you were really good on TV. Like you held your composure even though you had no chance to win. <laughs> And I was like, well, I went in with a plan, but you know, basically what they did is they enforced stuff they had never, I know there's some people listening right now being like, how did you not know what your occupancy was? Like, that's the first thing you need to know. I would agree. In 1999, when this, I think it was 99 when this happened, I don't know, it could have been the fall or spring, so I'm not sure off the top of my head. Um, when it happened, no one, no one cared. Like no one, no one knew it. No one enforced it. Everybody's supposed to have the certificate up by the front door. They didn't have it. Um, and it kind of changed everything from that point on, because at that point on, then there were lines. Everybody did 
apps counters. They had fire departments coming in because the previous weekend there was this supposed riot in Burlington, which wasn't really much of a riot. A couple of rugby guys that I knew like got into it with the cops and people freaked out. So they spent a couple of days. Then we were the first place that was busy because it was a Wednesday. So had we not had that party, we would have been dead. And then somebody else would have gotten popped on Thursday. So I had to go to these these town hall things and argue the case because the owner was like, I don't think I'm opening back up again. He's like, the rent has always been absurd. I've got a family. He just got married. He's like, I think we're good. So then the landlord, who was an asshole, um, because he stole some equipment that was mine that was in there and never, never gave it back to me. He was a fucking piece of work. He DJ uh, equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And the thing was, I was like, can I get that back? And then he's like, oh, well, it's my understanding that it belonged to the bar. And I was like, you found an understanding that worked out for you. <laughs> like, like, it's Don't my Don't gaslight me, bro. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well done, Kyle. And here's and anybody that thinks like, all right, you know, what's the other side of the story? I'll leave you with this example. So he decided, well, I own this bar. They've just redone it because the other owner brought in another owner as an investor and they spent money like remodeling it and changed everything around. And I don't know. It was it was kind of a weird spot because it used to be a dive, but it was everybody's favorite dive. And then they try to like make it more of an a dance thing. And so we would be dead at like quarter of midnight. And then for the next two hours, it was a flood. It was like a stress test from Bar Rescue. And it would just get, it would go so hard for like two hours. <laughs> so you really worked for two hours. But the register still did pretty well. So we were like, this isn't great that no one comes here anymore until later because it's no longer the dive. But we do really well because everybody's just already pregame for such a long time. So anyway, the owner, the guy who owned the building <laughs> was like, well, screw it. I've got a turnkey bar. I've lost out on the rent. The rent for that place was like triple the nicest bar in town. I don't know why they ever did the lease the way they did it. And <laughs> he was like, well, screw it. He called it another bar, made up some polo shirts, made everybody wear a uniform. Because back when I managed it, I was like, I don't care what. I mean, guys, backwards hat. Black t-shirt, right? Yeah, packing dips for, you know, they, I was like, I don't care. Do whatever the fuck you want back there. Um, and I'm not making that sound like I ran a, a tight ship, but I actually was good at running it. I, I believe it or not. I know that seems impossible after I just said the thing got rated and shut down. I don't blame you for not believing me. But the owner, after like a week, started seeing these college kids banking like 100, 200 bucks each in tips. Okay. So he's like, wait, what is, what's my liquor cost? Which you didn't understand. And he's looking at all the numbers and he goes, I should be doing better. He's like, wait, so you four guys and the waitress are they're splitting up almost a thousand bucks a night in tips. And the guys were like, yeah, these are sick jobs. You know, it was really hard to get those jobs and everybody wanted them. I mean, you could work one night as a college kid and you'd be set for spending money for the week. Hell, you were rich. And he was like, all right, no, 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 that's not the way it should work. Because he didn't know anything about the bar business. He would take all of their tips and he kept half and then he would hand them out. Oof. So then at all the kids. No. Well, I mean, that, I can I guess you could do it if you were the owner. So basically he did a thing where he's like, if you're only working two to three hours, then it should be an hourly. He's like, I think it should be like, you know, 10 bucks an hour is fair. So guys ended up, it wasn't even, it was worse than half. I think a couple of guys were like, yeah, everybody's quitting. He goes, we're making like $40 a night now, bartending. <laughs> Cause he just was like, that's absurd that you guys make this much money. And it was like, yeah, no shit. Why do you think people have a hard time leaving bartending? Cause it's, it's quick. It's it's great money. And, you know, if your friends are in there and everybody's kind of, you know, figure it out. You can do really well. So there you go. 
all right, memory lane. Uh, I would pay multiple thousands of dollars to have one night there again right now because uh, <laughs> you probably just noticed in my voice. Yeah, you're Maybe not over go to Frolic Room. You're not over it. <laughs> no, I miss, I miss, I don't know. I'm going through a weird phase right now where I'm missing that. I, actually, I don't miss that night or I don't miss those nights. I just miss. Yeah, the uh, hustle and bustle. It was a bit of a grind, but probably I miss solving. that phase. Yeah. I miss that phase, even though there's a lot that I shouldn't miss. Okay. Have a great Friday, everybody. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We have Trent Dilfer for you on Monday. We have, we've got some big things cooking here. Look out is what I'm telling you. Thanks to Colin Steve, Ringer, Spotify, Ryan Russell Podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe.